uh, begin tonight with uh, uh, this important subject. Now, I just winked up there at Mike because that means we're getting ready to start, which reminds me to tell you that Mike Buer, who we love, is celebrating his 20th anniversary of faithful service here at Sagemont Church. Mike Buer, there he is. And we are grateful to Mike and to all the staff, and we have a wonderful staff here. I'm not just saying that because I'm one of them. It's just a great staff and a great church, and the Lord is doing wonderful things in our midst for which we ought to be very, very appreciative. Okay, we have been speaking in prior weeks about uh, angels and Satan. We spoke about them last week, and we added him to our rock pile where we develop a, a, a wall of doctrinal beliefs so that we could be solidly uh, founded on the scriptures. And last week, we spoke about his identity, who he is, and tonight, I'd like to speak to you about what he does to us, and then we'll speak more about him in weeks to come. Now, again, I don't want our emphasis to be unduly upon him, but I think we have to know the enemy so that we can uh, uh, provide uh, the right resistance to him. So that's our purpose. So we want to answer this question tonight, what does he do to us? There are many names for Satan, as you know, in the Bible, and it occurred to me, as review the names by which he is named, you can find out what he does for us. For instance, he's referred to in the Bible as the slanderer. Well, that's because he slanders. He is referred to in the Bible as the tempter because he tempts us. He's referred to as the accuser. That's what he does. He's the accuser of the brethren. He's referred to as uh, the father of lies. He authors lies, and that's because he lies. He's referred to as the deceiver because he deceives and He's referred to as the devourer because he does that as well. And it could get a little complicated as we try to figure out the activity of Satan. And so I labored hard on this uh, because I wanted to get a handle on his activity. And, and so I, I think I sort of did. And I've boiled down the activity of Satan to something I think is a little more bite-sized and, and that we could... Uh, sort of wrap our arms around. It seems to me this is what, in essence, Satan does to us. He tempts us to do what he has done. You see, just as the Savior desires that we would be conformed to his image and his likeness and be like him, Satan, who counterfeits, he doesn't create, remember that, only the creator creates. Satan is a created being. But his desire is to counterfeit all that which the Lord Jesus Christ is about. And so it's his desire for us to be just like him. And so he tempts us to do what he has done, which leads to the question, what then has he done? Well, it's this. He has chosen to be independent of God. And you might think, oh, I'm minimizing the real evil nature of Satan to boil down his activity to that. But oh no, if you think about it, that is a grotesque injustice 
to seek to be independent of God, to be created and yet divorce yourself from creator. Well, not divorce yourself from creator. Seek even to replace the creator. This is very serious. To live in God's world as if he's not there is a very grotesque evil. And this is what Satan deliberately and rebelliously has chosen to do. He, the creature, has sought to replace the Most High God, who is alone the Creator. And he's done this by asserting his own independence from him. Independence of the creature from the Creator. That is the essence of what Satan is up to. That's what he tempts us to do. He tempts us to establish our personal autonomy from God. Think about it. He, Satan, chose to remove himself from under the authority of the Most High God because he wants autonomy from him. And so he wants us to choose the same personal autonomy from God. What does it mean? It means he wants us to be self-governing. Govern yourself is what he wants. You don't need outside help. You don't need a higher authority. You don't need the Most High God. Govern yourself. And so he seeks, Satan does, to foster this prideful, independent spirit in us. That's really the spirit of Satan. Prideful independence from God. So Satan said in Isaiah 14, 14, I will make myself like the Most High. And he wants us in the way we live, in essence, to make the same declaration. He wants us to issue to Almighty God a kind of a declaration of independence in which we say what Satan did. I don't need you. I can regulate. I can govern myself. I can live independent of you. So last week we spoke about this, but how in the world can the creature realistically be like the Most High God? After all, the Most High God is many things we ain't. He is, for instance, omnipotent, all-powerful, and not even the most naive and deceived of us will admit to omnipotence. The Almighty God, the Most High, is omnipresent, and we're not foolish enough to uh, assert our omnipresence. We can only be at one place at a time. Almighty God, the Most High, is omniscient. Do you remember a long time ago we covered the attributes of God? He knows all things. The creature surely doesn't. So in what sense can one, can the creature, can Satan, can we be, as we assert, like the Most High God? It is to declare that there is no authority outside us to whom we need to yield and submit. You see, that is the prerogative of God himself. When God, for instance, chooses to do something, who does he take counsel from, you tell me? He doesn't consult with me or you. His will is not subject to a vote, not even of angels. 
God works out his purposes according to the counsel, the Bible tells us, of his own will. This is the essence of the Most High God. There is no authority outside that which he himself inherently possesses. And that's what Satan means when he says, I too want to be like that. I want to be like the Most High God. I don't want to be answerable to any authority outside of myself. And folks... The next time you're tempted to act that way, I must tell you, and I don't think I'm being overly dramatic, that's the spirit of Satan. That's the tempter getting you to live in God's world as if you're God. You don't need him. The next time you choose to do something because you've set your mind on it, it seems right to you, it feels good, and on that basis you want to do it. The next time you do that and you don't pause to say, what would Jesus do? What did Jesus say about it? What does he want me to do? If you uh, initiate a course of action without uh, subjecting it to those questions, you are asserting yourself over and above the authority of the Most High God. And I have to tell you, you're being just like Satan. So am I when we do those things. That was his sin. I will be like the Most High God. And that's what he's about. He wants us to do what he has done. And so he sought to tempt the first ones of us, our parents, Adam and Eve, by invading the paradise, the garden in which God had put them. And so I want to call your attention to this account. It's in Genesis chapter 3, and we'll begin in verse 1. As we look at it, you'll learn a lot about our adversary. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed, has God said, You shall not eat from any tree of the garden. Do you notice how it begins? Now the serpent... Oh, my goodness, the reader is taken by surprise. You've been reading through Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, and you're glorying in, the, glorying in the majesty of God. You saw his creative activity as you read the account of creation. You saw how in the very power of his word he spoke all things into existence. You read about how he stepped back from the marvels of his creation and said, Ah, oh, it is very good. And you're unaware, and all of a sudden you're reading, now the serpent. He's been there all along, but in the shadows, suddenly, without announcing it, he emerges and takes you by surprise as the reader. Bah. But he didn't just take you by surprise. I got to tell you, he really took Eve by surprise. She was really unaware. And so, right at the outset, we can learn something about our adversary, and it's this. His temptation comes suddenly and unexpectedly. Now, in subsequent weeks, we're going to talk about weaponry. What can we do to deal with it? He usually doesn't announce his temptation in advance. He comes to us unawares, so we have to be on our guard. What can we do? Well, hang in there. There's plenty we could do, but we won't get to it tonight. Now, Eve is having a conversation with a snake. Well, that can't be. Most women don't like snakes. Most men don't like snakes. How is she having a cordial 
informal conversation with a repulsive snake. Well, I'll tell you how. The snake wasn't repulsive yet. Do you know at this point the snake was on legs? It was a beautiful creature at this point. So Eve was attracted. Ah, it wasn't until later that God imposes his penalty on the snake and says, you will crawl through the dust of the earth. It wasn't until later that God uh, applied a kind of an enmity between the snake and the woman and her seed and his seed. At this point, there was a kind of affinity and there was an attraction. He was a beautiful creature and a delight, really, even to Eve's eyes, which leads me to this conclusion also about our enemy. Someone has referred to it as the beautiful side of evil. If you're thinking Satan, your adversary, is going to approach you as big red, uh, you know, with horns and a pitchfork, and so you can just spiritually be relaxed. You don't have to be on guard because you'll see him coming. Oh, no. The beautiful side of evil. He can disguise himself as quite an attractive personage. And therefore, our, guide is off, our guard is down, as it surely was in this case. So he engages her in conversation, which leads me to this question. Where's Adam? They're hitched up by now, right? We're in Genesis 3. They got hitched in Genesis 2. The two became one. Where are they as one? I'm seeing the two separated here. He's talking to Eve. Where's her hubby? Seems not to be there. So we learned something. Satan isolated Eve from Adam which leads us to this insight into how our adversary works. He wants to isolate us from other believers. The next time you say, I've had it with church. I'm a Christian. I know God, and I'm a follower of the Lord Jesus. I just don't want to go to that church. Could I tell you something? You're playing right into the hands of Satan. Here's his strategy, divide and conquer. Listen to me. If you don't like everyone in your church frankly, or even anyone. That's not a big deal. There is really no commandment in the Bible that says thou shalt like one another. Because God doesn't require that we do stuff we're just not capable of doing. But there is this commandment, don't forsake hanging out with one another. A little bit of a paraphrase there. Why? Because you better stir one another up to love and good works. And you better encourage one another. And you got to do it all the time until you see the day drawing near. Why? Because Satan, the adversary, wants to divide and conquer us just like he did with Adam and Eve. He prowls about like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Generally speaking, we're pretty okay in a place like this. We hang out with one another, and the norm when we assemble for worship is, the, is that Christ be the center of all that we do. It gets a lot rougher when we're out there. We really need to come together, therefore, so that we can handle being out there. So a long time ago, I got over liking church people. I just, I'm just... 
It's just an option. If you, it's a bonus. It's icing on the cake. If you happen to find someone here who you like, that's really, really good. But it isn't necessary. It isn't required. Don't labor over it. It's, it's much more important than liking the people you worship with. It's needing the people you worship with. You get it? I can't make it without hanging out with you. I can't. You don't, you don't have to clap. Uh, because I, I'm not, I, I, it's nothing like that. I'm just telling you, we're weak people, and, and, and we, we can't keep the spiritual fire burning alone. No man is a spiritual island unto himself. The person who says, I could have God without going to church. You know, I've never really seen someone successfully pull that off. They're not productive. They're not bearing fruit. They're not filled with God's spirit. They're not with the program. Do you realize we didn't get saved from something into nothing? We got saved from the world into this body of believers, the family of God. That's why we can say our father, because we have him in common as his sons and daughters. And like in any family where you have some scuffles and disagreements and, you know, not every biological family likes all the members of the family. Do you? I got some aunts that drive you. One, when I was a little kid, Aunt Marcella used to bite me all the time. I'm still, I'm 57, I'm still suffering psychologically from, yeah, you know, I don't like Aunt Marcella. You know, she, Bite an apple. Leave me alone. <laughs> but she's still my aunt. You know, what are you going to do? So, so we get on each other once in a while. We have some healthy differences, sometimes disagreements, sometimes unkindnesses, which have to be confessed. It's irrelevant. I don't want the enemy to get to me alone. I can't handle it. I need this cultural norm. This is a kingdom norm. Our value systems are kingdom values over here in any good Christ-centered Bible-believing church. So lay it to rest. Stop being someone who thinks you have the option. You know, I'll check out the church and I'll see if they meet my needs. And if they greet me warmly, I'll come back. Come on. Come on. Even without a warm greeting, you need the warmth of Christian fellowship because it's cold out there. You've got to come in from the cold so that you can burn for Christ out there. When the embers starts going out, you come back together. We sing his praises. You listen to the words. You get with other people excited about walking with him, and they keep you on the straight and narrow. So he wants to isolate us from other believers. You see, that's not really good. Okay, so he engages even conversations, what he does. So what are his words about? You might find it interesting that Satan's words are about God's words, <laughs> which implies that God's words came first. Yeah, they did. God spoke, and then Satan reacted 
to God's words. And so God's words were not only contrasted from Satan's in that they preceded his, but God's words are ones that brought life while Satan's brought death. Uh, God's words are true, uh, Satan's are lies. And so we can learn something more about our adversary. It's this. He wants us to doubt the authority of God's word. He started it in Genesis chapter 3, and it continues to this very day. He wants us to call into question the authority of God's word. That's why we started way back when with the Bible uh, to lay the bedrock of our whole belief system. You have to have confidence in these 66 books of inspired authoritative scripture because from it, everything else we believe and do is to flow. So from the beginning, Satan wanted to raise doubt about what God said. And so he says to Eve, indeed, has God said? You know what she should have said? Get away from me. <laughs> you don't, she shouldn't even have engaged in conversation. The question is designed to implant in her mind some doubts about the authority of God's word. Already you can see, you can smell the thinking. You can see the wheels. She said, well, I thought he, well, maybe he didn't. Well, now that you asked, maybe I ought to. Depends on the translation, and I'm not really sure in the original Greek if that's the, well, and there's different. You can interpret the Bible anyway. Lots of errors in the, you could hear. Oh, man. And so uh, here's what he does. He misquotes God's words to her. Indeed, has God said, you shall not eat from any tree of the garden. Can you see where the distortion is in there? What do you think it is? Any. God never said they couldn't eat from any. He's a provider and a sustainer. He wants them to be nourished physically and spiritually. He didn't issue this prohibition from all the trees of the garden, it's just the way the evil one to make God's requirements seem more burdensome and oppressive than they in fact are. God never said that. This is what God said. It's way back there in Genesis chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. This is what God said. From any tree of the garden, you may eat freely, but... From the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. You see what he did? He misquoted God's word. So here's what the tempter in so doing is in essence saying to Eve. Eve, is it really true that God has restricted you in this way? Wow, Eve, that sure doesn't seem right to me. Look around, Eve. You are in such a beautiful place. This is like the coolest garden in the world. Could it be that God has actually told you not to enjoy it? Boy, Eve, if I was you, I'd be wondering, what kind of God is that? Eve, if you ask me my opinion... That sure doesn't sound like the kind of God I want to yield to. See what he's up to? So look at how she responds. 
uh, in Genesis 3, verses 2 and 3. The woman said to the serpent, here's what she said. Listen to it carefully. From the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat. But from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat from it or touch it or you will die. Got any problem with her response? She misquoted God also. She did the same thing Satan did. God didn't say they couldn't touch the tree. He said, don't eat from the tree. She too distorted God's word. He did so maliciously. She did so ignorantly. Both are inexcusable. As a sidelight advertisement, my fellow Christians... Please do everything you could to be knowing the word of God with accuracy. Please do everything you could to get your head in the scriptures. Get under the tutelage of somebody here in an iConnect Bible study class. Meet together with a group of men or women. Do something. No, do everything. Study it memorize it, read it through. Not a verse here, not a verse there. Could I ask you something? Maybe you should read fewer books about the Bible for a while. Just a, Maybe you should read the Bible. Why don't you read the Bible so you can find out what it says and be less prone to terrible misquoting distorted handling of the scriptures. It's to be your feeding, your milk. It's to be your meat. It is your nourishment. It protects you against the wiles of the evil one. You've got to know what it says because when you know what it says, you know the mind of God. You know the heart of God. He expresses himself in it. It's his words. You must Give it your utmost attention. You can't read it in a sloppy, makeshift way. Please don't, please don't let your uh, experience in the Bible be somebody's devotional guide to it. There are many wonderful ones, but why don't you go directly to it? Why don't you write your own devotional guide? Why don't you see what it has to say? Why don't you say, oh, God, speak for your servant listens why don't you say, open my eyes that I might behold the wondrous things in thy law. Don't you want to cultivate that personal relationship? We need each other. But I don't want my spiritual wheels to spin on the gas of your Christian experience. I want my own. Jesus died on a cross so that I could have a personal relationship with him. I need both. I need the collective experience, but I need the private experience as well. I need to see that his word is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, and can really get into the inner recesses of my heart and will, and it can tell me things and show me things, sometimes burdensome and uncomfortable things about me, but which I need to know. I don't want I want you to tell me God loves me. I want God to tell me he loves me firsthand. This is a love letter, that Bible that he's given to us. I don't want you to give me your advice only. I want God to guide me with his right eye upon me. How could I get it if I'm only listening to you? So please do everything you 
could to get immersed in the scriptures, get addicted to it, get up and say, I can't function without my time in God's word. Not every addiction is one to break. That's one to cultivate. I encourage you. There's such biblical illiteracy in the body of Christ. I don't understand it. You're going to have culture shocks. So too may I. When we see Jesus, uh, the enfleshed, incarnate word of God face to face, because we've had such little time in the written word of God, please do it. Stop being entertained. I love songs. I love to sing the songs. (sighs) Read the Bible. Stop memorizing songs. All Christians do today is listen to music all the time. I like music, but he's putting a new song in my heart. It's a song of redemption. Read all about it in the Bible. Why are you waiting to hear it from others when you can get it firsthand? Are you religious? Religious people are at the beck and call of those who stand up in front of them. You have to hope they're trustworthy. Oh, no. God doesn't want you to just listen to news about him secondhand. He wants to speak to you firsthand. He calls you beloved. Let him love on you by whispering sweet nothings in your ear. Get an earful from the scriptures. Don't wait for Wednesday or Sunday when you can read all about it on Thursday. I have to tell you, it's the most serious matter. What's available to us is the Bible in every shape and size and color and translation, and they're gathering dust. Do you know if I wanted to embarrass uh, you, and I surely don't, we could take a poll, and you were honest, I'd ask how many have read the entire Bible? So many who've been in church for many, many years haven't read through the Bible from Genesis to Revelation even once. Come on. Come on. So so she does out of ignorance what he does maliciously. What's the difference? They're both misquoting the word of God. But, all right, a little hard on Eve here. Let me, let me lighten up on Eve. At least she quoted correctly the consequence for disobedience, which God so clearly told them about. He said, and she quoted it correctly, God said, in the day you eat from it, you shall surely die. Now, will you notice this? Genesis chapter 3, verse 4. The serpent said to the woman, you surely will not die. Whoa. Satan negated what God said. Satan, in in essence, tell me if you think I'm right, is he not calling God a liar? It's what it seems like. God said you will die. Satan said, no, you won't. He's calling God a liar. So first, this is what the enemy does. First, he seeks to cause us to doubt God's authority. And now he's causing Eve to doubt God's integrity. It's as if he's saying, Eve, don't trust him. Doubt him. Doubt his word. And now doubt his character. Don't believe in him. Don't listen to him. Be independent of him. Do what seems right to you, Eve. There are no penalties. You won't die. Do your own thing. If it feels good, do it. Genesis 3, 5, for God knows, says Satan, in the day that you eat from it, your eyes will be opened. That seems like a good thing. And you will be like God. That too seems like a good thing. Knowing good and evil. That's what he says to her. 
So we learn this now about our adversary. He wants us not only to doubt God's authority. He wants us not only to doubt God's integrity. Now it appears he wants us to doubt God's motives. God is insecure, Eve. You threaten him. He's threatened by you. Therefore, he's keeping things from you. Secrets. He doesn't want you to be like him, and therefore he's withholding good information about life from you. Therefore, Eve, separate from him. Establish your independence from... Be like me, Eve. Take, eat. Your eyes will be opened. You will know good and evil. You will gain wonderful insights into life. That's the direction of satanic temptation. So we learn this about our adversary. He tempts us to acquire wisdom apart from God. I didn't say smarts. You get that, you know, by going to school, you get an education. I'm not talking about that. Wisdom. The biblical concept of wisdom means skillfulness in living life. Satan said, Eve, you can acquire skill in living life apart from the giver of life. He's still doing it. There are more how-to books on the shelves than I've ever seen. How to be wise, how to live skillfully, how to make your first million, how to, how to, how to with no recourse to God. I mean, all you got to do is see what Oprah's recommending on her book list. Every one is, 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 is a book on how to live skillfully in God's world without any recourse uh, to the Most High God. It's Dr. Phil stuff. <laughs> I hope you're fed up on Dr. Phil stuff. <laughs> Good night. There is no skillfulness in living life apart from the giver of life. If you think so, you have just succumbed to satanic temptation. You are independent of the giver of life. Good night. You think you can navigate the waters of life and that God, the giver of life, ain't necessary. You could just read how-to books. Could I tell you I'm shocked at how many Christians read books that have nothing to do with Christ that tell you how to live effectively. <gasps> he said, I am the way and the truth and the life. Can he tell you how to live effectively? Isn't he the source of an abundant life and life eternal? Oh, don't succumb to all that popular nonsense. It's nonsense. It's psychobabble. Don't do it. You want wisdom in living life? Go to the book whose words are life. Find out. So he tempts Eve and us to acquire wisdom apart from God. Be independent of God. You don't need him. Now with this, the work of Satan at this point in the garden is done. He is, he's done his thing. Now he leaves the woman up to her natural appetites and inclinations. And so here's what happens. Verse 6, Genesis 3. When the woman saw that the tree looked good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, uh, well, she took from the fruit and ate, and she gave also to her husband, you know, sin loves company, uh, with her, and he ate. So Eve saw, and Eve desired, and Eve reasoned, and Eve took, and Eve ate, and Eve 
I got Adam to join in with her, and voila, Satan succeeded in transferring his goal to the entire human race. And as we draw near to a close, here it is again, just so you don't miss it. Here is Satan's goal, simple, be your own God. That's his goal, be your own God. So let me ask you a question. You don't have to answer out loud, but you ought to answer it. How you doing at it? That's my question. I mean, how are you doing at being your own God? Seems like a fair question. Are your needs being met by you? How are you doing at taking care of yourself? Are you okay? You feeling good? Do you have, do you have everything you need to be self-sufficient? I mean, if you're God, do you have everything you need to be self-sufficient? Is your, is your self-reliance, is that working for you? How about that? Is your self-government working for you? Are you in control? Are you, are you on top of the bad habits, you know? You can, you can handle the bad habits. They don't challenge you. No big deal. It's, there's no such thing as a bad habit with you. You're self-governing. You could turn it on when you want to. You can turn it off when you want to. I, how, how are you doing it with your? Can you control yourself? How are you doing? I'll tell you what. Let me just answer for you. You ain't doing well at all. You're not doing good at all at being your own God. Being your own God is not working for you. Being self-sufficient is not bearing fruit. Being self-reliant is not working. You know what has just happened to you? You have been lied to. Hmm. Satan has lied to you and to me, just as he has to Adam and Eve. You know, he showed them only the good appearances of their choices, but God who loved them showed the, the consequence of their choices. You see? Satan said, don't believe God. Just do it. Do your own thing. They did, and they died. So what about you? Are you dying? Are you dead on the inside? Are you the walking dead? Are you a shell of a person? Do you wish you were now physically dead on top of it? Are you spiritually dead? Look, here is the truth. Take it. Don't leave it. This is the truth. You were made by God. And you were made for God. You were not made to live apart from God. Take that. Don't leave that. You were made. You are not self-generating. You are not God. You were made. And the maker had a purpose. He made you for him. And it is not possible to live skillfully apart from him. You cannot make it apart from the most high God. Don't take it or leave it. Take it. 
It's the truth. You need outside help. And the most high God has provided it so graciously, so willingly, so unconditionally, and so sacrificially in the person of Jesus Christ, his own son, who said, come to me, all who are weary. You've been lied to. You're not self-reliant. You're not self-sufficient. You can't take care of yourself. You can't be anything you want to be. You can't pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. That sounds real good. It's a lie. You can't even suck in the next breath of air unless the giver of life permits it. This thing of believing in yourself has left you dead and dying on the inside. Me too, when I drift from the giver of life. Jesus, therefore, said, come to me, dead and dying people. Folks who have been lied to and who are so weary of living life, so heavy laden, he says, come to me. And I will give you a lecture, a boot in the behind, a spanking, a piece of my mind, a cold shoulder. Come to me messed up, empty, impoverished, dead people so that I can give you Rest. Why not now? So would you bow your heads and close your eyes and just let me invite you to invite this Jesus into you to fill the emptiness, the vacuum, the void to have mastery over you, for you have failed as the master of your own destiny. So say, Lord Jesus, I have blown it. I too listened to the liar, as did Eve. And now only he laughs and is amused. I'm dying. I don't even know exactly about the parameters of eternal life. Right now, I'm looking for a reason to get up tomorrow. Would you come into my life having forgiven me? I listened to a liar. I saw, I thought, I took. I ate, I'm dying. I sinned against your word. Come into my life, forgive me. Fill every aspect of my life. There's room in my heart for thee. Please save me from Satan. I'm in his domain. 
remove me. Make me to be a part of your family. Protect me. Fill me. Battle against him on my behalf. Let me recapture ground surrendered to him in my disobedience. Live out your life in me. Impart to me your spirit. Let there be light in me just as you spoke it into existence in the physical world. Let it cast out the darkness and especially the prince of the darkness. Be the prince and author of my personal deliverance and salvation. And I will live the abundant life you offer and the eternal life which is to come. And I will worship thee, Lord Jesus, and thee alone. This I pray in Jesus' name. So keep your heads bowed just for a second. If you invited the Lord Jesus to do that on your behalf tonight, can you raise your hand and just look me in the eye? Thank you. Listen, stick around, would you? I got nothing to do. I need to speak with you while everyone leaves, okay? And I see where you are. I'm not going to let you go. Who else? Raise your hand. I'd like to have a little discussion with those because you, you need to understand what you just prayed and did and we want to help you along remember i said you can't make it alone so we just we want to be part of your family who else raise your hand if you prayed for the first time tonight oh god fill me and be my savior is there anybody else okay then what about those here who are surely redeemed but have um been tempted by the evil one he's so subtle and you've been tempted, um, though you've been saved by faith, you're walking by the flesh. You know, you know how that is? Even my fellow Christians, he saved you. You know that's by faith, but now you've taken control of your own life, you know? So he doesn't, he's really, you're not letting him be Lord, and you're hurting for it. Could you just look at me, just wave at me so I could see who you are? I just want to pray for you. Is there anyone feeling safe enough, honest enough to say I've just drifted from the Lord Jesus and I just need him to fill me again. Is there anyone, thanks for me, you can put down your hand, thanks. I just want to pray for you. Is there anybody else? Okay, thanks, thanks. You can put down your hand. Is there anyone else? That's the way it is, my fellow Christians. Flesh versus spirit, we have our ups and downs. Um repent you know it's a turning back to the all-sufficient one you, you haven't been able to take care of yourself you tried it doesn't work uh he's ready for you is there anybody else a, a christian who's saying i i really need to set myself apart to the lord jesus more fully than i've done thank you very much you can put your hand thank you ma'am you can put your hand down thanks uh, so, my Father, I pray for these who are uh, in the fold and loved so deeply by you. I, you know, I, I don't think they know that because if they did, I think they would have come home a little sooner. I think they're thinking you're mad at them. That's kept them from you. Oh, no. No, no, no. You're, you're above and beyond that. I think it's more like you ache 
when the ones for whom you suffered and died drift from you because who can you where are they going to go we you have words of eternal life okay but be that as it may i'm so grateful that these brothers and sisters in christ <laughs> um are coming back, perhaps just like the prodigal. You've seen him coming from afar. So now, Lord Jesus, I just do pray you would fill them with your spirit. He's probably been quenched a little bit in their lives, and uh, they really need your spirit in them to have mastery of their lives, kind of to get out of the way, to confess some, some sin, and to turn back to you like never before. And you are so ready uh, to have them back in your embrace. That's what it is. Uh, take them up and in and closer to your very heart and embrace them and hug them and lay out for them a practical plan whereby they, could, they can now uh, stay strong in Christ. And then for the, for the uh, young man who indicates, Lord Jesus, that today is perhaps the day of his salvation, of course, if that's the case, the very angels who we learned about a few weeks ago are jumping up and down and rejoicing because they're smart and they know what's important. What he did is the most crucial decision. He just affected his own eternal life because he accepted the giver of eternal life. So thank you for forgiving his sins. And now we pray that you would bind the evil one who uh, uh, dislikes what he just did and is his adversary, and instead we pray you would just uh, build into his life truth and fruit and nourishment and helps and a new family and that you would receive much glory from him. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that as Satan was in Genesis 3, he still is for a while longer, but, oh, this is so good, as you are and evermore shall be, uh, th that is our strength. Alpha and Omega, beginning and end, unchangeable God, our rock, our deliverer, our fortress, the author of our salvation, uh, the soon great and coming King before whom every knee shall bow, our Father who art in heaven, a God we could look up to and who lovingly looks down to us. You are our hope, oh God of all hope. Thank you for spreading hope abroad in our hearts, even tonight as we've discussed the evil one. Thank you for soon crushing him under our feet. Thank you for victory in Jesus, in whose name we pray, amen.